Does it, do any of you recognize this character? Come on then. Mr. Grumble or Mr. Grumpy, that's quite right. Yes, this is not a self-portrait, um, although sometimes it probably is. And actually the truth is it could probably be a portrait of m- most of us on some occasions, couldn't it? Um, my guess is we think we're sort of average, the average adult in the UK. The average adult in the UK grumbles about 13,000 things in a year. Apparently they spend eight, the average adult in the UK spends about 8 minutes and 45 seconds each day grumbling about something or another. And I've discovered that as I've grown older, it becomes easier to be grumbling about everything. It's easier to grumble because things aren't like they used to be. And they always were better than they are now. Whether it was the politicians that you could trust in those days and you can't nowadays. Whether it's the young people running riot in the way they never used to when they were my children. Or whether it's the morality of our nation which is going down the tubes. Or whether it's now, oh goodness me, church and the songs just aren't what they used to be, are they? So we can all easily feel rightly justified in grumbling about something. Which is why we face another of those impossible verses with a sinking in our hearts. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do you know there's quite a few what I would call impossible verses in the Bible. And I think this is one of them. It becomes possible only because of one thing which we will look at in just a moment. But, you know, sometimes Christians, even Bible-believing and practicing Christians, find it easy to grumble because, on the one hand, God has not quite come up to what they expected when they were first converted. And on the other hand, nor the other people in church. And yet God calls us to live in a relationship with him. And he calls us to be part of a family. So in a sense we don't have a choice once we've accepted his offer of himself in bringing us the wonder of salvation. And we find ourselves at times probably feeling trapped into, as it were, trying to be something that we find it almost impossible to be. And that's one of the reasons why it becomes easy to crumble. Forgive me, please, I forgot to greet those of you um, on camera today. um, And probably you will feel more comfortable watching this on camera than these people present in the church are feeling at the moment as we talk about this impossible verse. But let's think about why it is important not to grumble. And let's just first of all think about it in, in the way everybody in the world knows it's better not to grumble, but finds it impossible. So... If you grumble, your cortisol levels arise, your immune system is compromised, your blood pressure rises, you gain weight, you have an increased risk of a heart attack, and parts of your brain are harmed. Oh, that's probably, I've got the evidence, I've been grumbling, haven't I? (laughs) There's an incredible negative impact upon our body, but there's actually an even greater negative impact upon our spirits. You see, we are created to become more and more like Jesus. And the thing about, the, about last week is that we realized that as we are meant to have the same attitude as he had. And what that meant was that he took the nature of a servant. So as 
Father, as Son, as the firstborn Son, so the children of God, we as the children of God, are meant to become like him. And we lay down our lives to him and for him and for others. And if that is how we were created to live by the living God, (coughs) then actually when we don't live like that, there is bound to be a negative impact upon our spirits. So if we want to live healthily and well, do everything without grumbling or arguing. (coughs) The other day I walked into a church at a uh, one, uh, not very far from here, I handed over my um, PowerPoint to the guy on the uh, audio visual desk and um, I got into a little conversation with him. He was big. And told me he was a carpenter. I thought, that's interesting. I thought, you're a bodybuilder. You know the way you can tell bodybuilders. They, they've just got something about themselves, haven't they? Anyway, he later gave a little testimony in the service in which he indicated not only was he a carpenter, but he also had a little business on the side as a personal trainer. And personal trainers, you know, are amongst those guys. I can't do that. Andy, you ought to come. You could probably do that, couldn't you? (laughs) So how do we do it? We have to become those that work out and work out continuously with such an impact upon our bodies and spirits that there's meant to become something visibly different about us. And it comes from what's going on inside us. If we let God work on the inside and we work on the outside, then something is going to happen that's going to make us more and more like Jesus and visibly different from those around us. The thing about salvation is it's a glorious gift. It's a fantastic thing that we come... And we bring our sin and Jesus gives us his righteousness. We come and bring our dying nature and he comes and gives us life that's life eternal. It's a gift that can never be worked for and earned. But having received the gift, we need to work out what that means in our lives for the way in which we now live our lives for the king. Under his lordship rather than under our control. And that's something that has to go on day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year out and year out, and decade out and decade out, in and decade out. So I'm now in a decade that I've never lived my life in before. I still have to work out what it means for me now in my 70s to live for the king. And incidentally, I would quite like some help with this. Um, I've been involved, as many of you know, in the summer holiday conferences called New Wine. And this time they've asked me to do a seminar that I don't really feel prepared for, which is called retirement. (laughs) The only retirement that I understand is like when you retire something for further mileage. And what I would love to do is have a little group working with me here at Christchurch that help me to think through, because you're already doing this, what it means for you to live for Jesus at a stage in your life when you're not being paid for the work that you do. So what are you now doing? Working out your uh, salvation even at this stage in your life. So if you'd be interested in having a conversation with me about that and having some input into the seminar, I'd love to hear from you. I want people, you know, right across the different walks of life, not just, uh, you know, retired old clergymen like I am. 
So that would be a great help to me if you can help me with that. Thank you. Um, you have lived, all of you, through different stages of life already. And you will have worked it out, what it meant for you to be a fully committed disciple of Jesus in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. But now what's it look like? And this is the challenge to me afresh. And what will it look like when I'm more like my mother-in-law's age in her 90s now? She was probably the oldest person at the uh, women's breakfast yesterday. It's not surprising at the age of 97, is it? What does it look like for her? Well, I tell you what, she prays in a way I wish I prayed. She knows and understands what it means to be on her face, as it were, before the Lord and be bringing others in prayer before the Lord as well. And we are so grateful as a family for the way in which she has prayed and is still praying for us. So keep working it out. And in working it out, friends, we don't do it on our own. I said we work on the outside, as it were. God is always working on the inside, and we need to continuously cooperate with that work that God says by his Spirit he will do internally within us. For God is working in you. By his Spirit, when Jesus comes into our lives, begins a new dynamic that's never going to change. He, the Spirit, is constantly seeking to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And one of the things he does isn't just that he enables us to do what God wants us to do. He makes us want to do the things that God wants us to do. See, one of the things that many Christians grumble about against God is that God has asked them to do stuff they don't want to do. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, that was one of my fears, that if I became a clergy person, God might ask me to be a missionary and go to some other part of the world. Fortunately, he missed me and got my daughter for a while. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I was, one of the things I was a bit afraid of. Lots of people live in, with a fear that if they give themselves wholly to God, he will make them do something they don't want to do. It's not really like that in the end. If we offer ourselves to God fully, then God works within us to give us a desire to do the very things that he wants us to do. So in the end, it became a joy to me to serve him as a church leader because he gave me a desire to do it. Although I didn't have that desire before I sort of became it. You know, the things do go hand in hand together. And you will find that as your heart changes, as you offer him yourself, increasingly the things that he says to you are the very things that actually you want to do and you are good at doing. And then there's great fruit in serving you. And all the time that he is at work in you and you're working out with him, you will be increasingly conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And you know in Scripture, in more than one occasion, we are imagined to be like the clay on the potter's wheel and he the Lord fashions and forms us from something that looks like just a mess into something that is really lovely to look at and for which we are really made to be. Something is made out of the nothing that we offer to him. And that something is that we become more and more like, sorry, I'm just going to go back to that text, uh, the children of God, clean, innocent, living people. 
th- th- there's something lovely about those words, isn't there? Or it may only NIV, I can't remember. Is it pure? Is it, is it pure there? Purity. You're, you don't really have to define purity, except <laughs> it's something I'm not quite yet. <laughs> um, <coughs> my dear friend David Pitches, who started <coughs> New Wine, said to me not long ago, he said, uh, he's 91 now. So he's in a decade or two ahead, of two, ahead two decades ahead of me. He said, John, you know, I, I still fight some of the same battles. I'm still asking the Lord to make me pure. I thought, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Please make me pure on the inside, Lord. And no one really knows whether we're pure, except we know, really, when we're not pure, don't we? And the Lord himself knows. But you see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we offer ourselves to him. As we say to him, Lord, we uh, want to become like Jesus, then actually he makes us a bit more and 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 a bit more like him. And there's something (coughs) that is at times just sort of self-evident about that in a strange way. (coughs) Uh, So we shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now some some of us here will find that a pretty severe description of our world. Uh, It doesn't say that everybody is completely crooked and completely perverse, but nonetheless, the world is full of crooked and perverse people. And the culture that is created is a crooked and perverse culture. And we are born into that. And the question is whether that culture in the end controls us or whether, in, on the other hand, we in some way live counterculturally and change that culture. And in my understanding, the church has always been called to live counterculturally. That is entirely how Jesus lived his life. And that is how he intends us to live our lives. And as we keep working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we will become increasingly both pure and innocent and different from those around us. Sometimes it just becomes obvious to people that we're different. I remember hearing a story of Reinhard Bonker. This type of thing hasn't happened to me yet. Whether it ever will, I don't know. But uh, it's an exceptional story, but I love it because it shows what ultimately becomes possible, in a sense. Reinhard Bonker was an evan- German evangelist who spent his life ministering in Africa, seeing hundreds of thousands of people come to know and love our Lord Jesus. And one day in a department store, and I think this was when he was back in Germany, actually, rather than in Africa, he, somebody bumped into him in the aisle in the department store, you know, not looking where they were going. Any, anyone ever done that? Slightly embarrassing, isn't it? And then you realize what you've done. And this person looked at Reinhard Bonnke and thought that he, what they, they were going to re- look at was a face of an angry man, angry because he'd been knocked into by somebody who wasn't paying attention to what they were doing or where they were going. Instead, what happened was, this person looked at Reinhardt for a moment or two, in the face, in the eye, and burst into tears. And in a conversation that then followed, what this person said, I want what you've got inside of you. And Reinhardt, in, the, in that moment, led her to the Lord. And when he got home, he said, he got into a conversation with the Lord and said, what's going on there, Lord? What was that? And he felt the Lord said to him, Reinhardt, don't I live in your life? Your body is like my temple. It's like a house. 
And I look out of the windows and at any moment I can open the windows and people will see me. That's a pure and innocent life in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Shining like bright lights. And some, you won't be aware of it most of the time. But that is, I believe, what God intends to be happening. And at times you will then deliberately express the truth about the light of the world, the light of life that lives within you. If you hold firmly to the word of life, Jesus, that lives in you, if you work, keep working with fear and trembling at the salvation that he's given you, as you become more like him, you will have something to hand on to other people. Um, how many times has Andy told you that he carried the flame uh, in the Olympics? <laughs> many times already? I wonder why that is. It was, a, it was a great moment for him, wasn't it? But you see, when you hold firmly onto something like that, you're entrusted with Jesus within you. Uh, you actually, it's, it's intended that you never keep that to yourself. You pass on the word of life to other people. And that is what this is about, friends. So I found myself playing golf the other day with somebody I didn't know. Uh, it was an inter-club uh, competition and he, he arrived I greeted him and you know before too long the conversation comes around to what, what, what did you do what, what did you do before you retired <laughs> uh, and then when I said I was a Church of England minister he, you know, normally the conversation immediately goes uh, I'm not a religious man of any sort whatsoever <laughs> and I'm praying silently uh, Lord help me to speak of you and before long, it became quite clear that although he described himself as not a religious man, he was more than happy to have a conversation about important things of life. And before long, we were talking about Jesus. Before long, we were talking about the evidence for Jesus, all the stuff that's in the Alpha Course uh, day one. And I started asking him, what, have you ever been on the Alpha Course? No. Have you heard of an Alpha Course? No. And so I'm determined to actually write to him now and introduce him to an Alpha Course so that maybe he could take the next step. Whole, as we firmly hold on to the word of life at every stage of life, we'll always have something to pass on to others, whether they be at the same stage of life as we are or whether they actually be at a much earlier stage of life. There's only one word of life, that is Jesus. So we keep working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we're, we're, we're now, uh, I'm not sure whether we're lastly or finishing yet, but we're nearly there. Um, Part of this is actually about choosing to rejoice. So remember, Paul is in prison. If I were in prison, I think I'd probably spend quite a bit of time in my first five years there grumbling to the Lord about why I'm there. Why me, Lord? It's not fair, Lord. Most of the Christian world are not in prison for their faith. Why me? And well, why these guards? I mean, they're, t they're the worst guards, as he's chained to the guards. I'd find something to, <laughs> to grumble about. <laughs> and yet Paul already, as you know from chapter 1 of Philippians, has said, actually, this is serving the Lord. This gives me an opportunity to share my faith with them. So in the worst of circumstances, he makes the choice, working out what it means to be fully saved, to be a holy, fully committed disciple of Jesus. He says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life. 
And I want you to share joy. I, I, I want you to understand and I want you to begin to experience the same joy in whatever circumstance of life. You do not have to grumble as you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, becoming more and more like Jesus as you cooperate with the work of God within your life. Now, some days I rejoice. It just seems to come. And that's one thing about the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's there, it just grows within you. Other days, I definitely have to choose. <laughs> and Anne says, why didn't you choose to rejoice a bit earlier than that today? <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? Um, that's, that's the working out bit. You know, it is the Lord at work within us, but we have to work it out. So sometimes it just comes naturally, other times we really have to work at it. <clears throat> I've never thought working out would be much fun. I still think working out would not be much fun. Do I work out? Have a look at me, friends. I don't work out on my body, but I'm trying to work out on my spirit. And this is the workout that, as it were, makes life really worth living on every single level. This is the working out that Paul is talking about here. This is the working out that makes us so cooperate with God at work in us that we become more and more like Jesus, which means that we hold it onto something which means that we're able to pass it on to something else, which is the thing, Jesus, the only thing that will really change their life for eternity long, even as it's changed our life for eternity long. So I come back to my friend David Pitches, two decades ahead of me, and think of him as he says, what he missed in the pandemic was being able to walk down to the coffee shop in Chorleywood and share the gospel with his friends. Friends, I, I don't know who it is that you're especially praying for at the moment that you'd be able to in some way bring the word of life to. But there'll be some people that you're probably the only n- person that they know who's a disciple of Jesus. So in this Kingdom Come Prayer initiative that we're going to engage in um, from Thursday onwards, why don't you, amongst other things that we're praying for, pray that you would see through the eyes of God those around you that he's calling you to pass the word of life onto. Even as you've held onto it firmly, pass it on to somebody else. Father, We are astonished, Father, at your grace that once we were your enemies and you came in the person of Jesus to us and you loved us so much, Lord Jesus, that you prepared to go to the cross for us. And then you destroyed the destroyer. You sent your spirit upon us. You're at work in our lives now. We say thank you, thank you, thank you. We choose to rejoice in who you are and what you've given us in our lives. And we pray that you'd give us grace to continue to work with you and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that at this stage in our lives, we'd become the pure and innocent children of God that you designed us to be. And we're asking this, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, that the world might see your church like you created your church to be and have hope restored.
Amen.